this idea of what you're calling inequality, it goes back to prehistoric times where it went to this kind of concept of just a need for resources, right? That when people feel like there's no way to provide the resources for themselves, they will find people with those resources and things happen. Welcome back to the Empire's New Clothes. This is where we discuss the forces that make and break empires. I'm your host, Bradford MacArthur. We're going back through our catalog of interviews and we have this discussion with Hakeem Easler. He's also known as the Black MacGyver. He has a bit of a reality TV presence. He also runs his own business. He also was an expert in psychological operations in the US military. So he has this very interesting background understanding of how do humans approach risk and how do they make decisions going forward based on these feelings, these perceptions of either real or perceived risk. So I originally wanted to call him up to try to figure out why is there so much information out there that's showing a very dysfunctional society, a dysfunctional nation, and yet we're just not seeing a lot of discussion around could America be a declining empire? If you even pose that question, you're seen as this crazy lunatic. So I saw to track Hakeem down to get to the bottom of this question. However, we start talking and very quickly I understand he's in this very interesting crossroads of the COVID pandemic and how it's affecting small business owners. Because Hakeem, at that time, he had just lost three family members, yet he has a small business. So on one hand, he really wants to stay open because He needs to put bread in his table. On the other hand, he understands something's going on here and this thing could have deadly outcomes for folks because he just lost three people that are very close to him. We also speak about tribalism and the nature that people can have to become very tribal and what that means when resources become limited. It's a breath of fresh air to not be speaking with someone who's deep down in the weeds of finance, which I love that. But as we're doing here, we're trying to bring in so many different perspectives and thoughts on this big, big concept of empire and the life cycle of empire. So Hakeem brings some pretty interesting insight to that. I hope you enjoy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's a lot going on, uh, you know, uh, with this coronavirus and everything that's happening. You know, I lost I lost three family members. I got my business shut down. It's, it's you, crazy. You did? Yeah, yeah. I'm so lost, sorry to uh, hear that. I lost uncle, a cousin, and my grandmother just passed away about two weeks ago. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. We, it looks like my grandfather might have, ha- he, he just passed away about two, three weeks ago as well. It, it looks like he maybe had it too. He was on the way out though, so it's, you don't know, it's different when it's, when they're not already on death's doorstep as he was, but I'm sorry to hear that. It, it's super crazy times right now. It really is. <clears throat> yeah, it, it truly is. And I'm sorry to hear about your family as well, but no. you know what my grandmother, she was uh, not in the best shape. And so, um, you know, she didn't have to suffer anymore. And so there's those things that, you know, it is what it is. People have to pass on. So Yeah. 
It certainly energizes the conversation that everyone's having right now, but reopening or, you know, yeah, we'll put some more people at risk, but the economy is more important. I'm not sure. So I'm clear. I'm not sure where I stand. Um, I just recognize it's, it's more than just a conversation at this point. There's a lot of emotions tied to all that. Before we dive into that, if you've probably done this a lot before, but if you could just state who you are and a little bit of background. Okay. I'm Hakeem Black MacGyver Isler, and I am in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm 42 years old. I am a business owner and a martial artist, as well as a survival and preparedness expert. Yeah. So I guess to dive in, what exactly is the concept of disaster avoidance? So I like that you asked about the concept of disaster avoidance. So disaster avoidance is me being able to be prepared enough to see and, and use knowledge that I've already gained from situations that may have occurred to help me predict situations that may occur that could put me in jeopardy. Um, and so this goes back to the dawn of time as far as man is concerned um, and this idea that there is something that is a danger to me. We learn about it and then we start planning around how to avoid that thing or how to prepare for when that thing and we encounter that thing. So whether it's a creature that's trying to eat us or whether it's a plant that we shouldn't eat or an area that's dangerous uh, for human beings, how do you do that? And so at me as a survival instructor, um, I'm always looking at that from multiple perspectives because humans are not one phase. We have different phases and aspects that that are related to our survival. So when we're looking at our survival, we're looking at it from different aspects. It's not just about having food and it's not just about having water, um, especially where we are now. Maybe at a time, disaster avoidance was just making sure that we could find water. You know, it'd be a disaster if we don't have water. Um, but now, it's, it's also about, you know, now we recognize that it's not about the individual, but it's about the tribe. So how do I have enough people um, and I keep enough people well enough that we can work together as a tribe to continue to flourish and grow? Um, and so we get past those basic needs and move on. So just to summarize, disaster avoidance is about being able to recognize what it is that I need to survive, what would be something that would uh, threaten or hinder my survival, and then how would I go about preparing in advance to avoid that or at least have the resources to deal with it when it does happen. And that's fascinating you brought it there. Do you, do you think we're struggling moving from looking after myself and perhaps my immediate family to looking after the tribe? I think that there are different levels. So when it comes to um, looking af after myself or looking after the tribe, I think there are different levels to that. Um, sometimes in, in what people consider looking after myself and my immediate surroundings and looking after the, after the tribe, you know, there's a lot of even dysfunction in the family unit now. If you think about it that way, um, there's, you know, sometimes you got family members who don't even consider themselves family members, but will consider like a friend from high school, more of a brother or sister than like their actual brother or sister, you know? Um, so there's that aspect to it. I mean, this goes really deep. Me as, you know, another portion of my background is I was psychological operations in the military. So I had to 
I had the opportunity to see um, and understand how people operate um, on multiple different levels, one being in units, whether it be family unit or the overall social unit. And I think that nowadays um, there is this propensity, there's different, there's these three different levels of, of identification, three main ones. There's me, I, the identity of me, and then there's the identity of we, family, and then there's the identity of we, uh, close-knit group of friends, right? And then there's, and I guess there's even a fourth one, there's a identity of the tri- the community tribe, the social um, you know, tribe. And so there is a lot of break in all of that. And I think it's because of the fact that we are operating so fast now in a, such a very manipulative uh, information, uh, easy to manipulate information environment um, that it's really easy to get lost in okay, how do I identify myself? How do I identify my family? How do I identify my friends? And how do I identify in the community spectrum? Um, And so there is some disconnect there, I believe. Um, I believe that there can be some disconnect there. And that disconnection can lead to a lot of problems when it comes down to disaster avoidance or disaster preparedness. Because really, I have to be grounded in my needs I have to be grounded in my community in order for me to be able to grow to the next phase. I mean, we, we've learned that uh, since, the, since the beginning, you know, without understanding the tribe and without forming a tribe, then that means I have to do everything on my own. And that makes it very hard for me to grow to the next phase. And so then there has to be this kind of identity of a tribe or a group. And then we keep growing that so that we can get bigger and bigger. Um, when that starts to break down, then there are a lot of challenges that will start, you know, that we'll start to see. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to read just um, a, a quote to you here to kind of put in perspective the, the disaster that this project's looking at. And then um, it, so it's, it's the summary at the end of a research paper, which are the driest things ever. Um, but I like this one because it, it, the language they're using, they're screaming at us. They, they kind of break away from the academic language for a hot second here. Um, it's two professors from Chicago, and their paper's held Inequality Aversion, Populism, and the Backlash Against Globalization. <clears throat> and so they finish by saying, In effect, their model offers the following advice to countries with high inequality and current account deficits, along with sophisticated financial service industries. Get ready, change is coming. As to when such change would occur, the model cannot offer a precise prediction. However, it does suggest that globalized countries that are facing immigration strains, as well as challenges from competing nations, may be particularly vulnerable. When inequality becomes large enough, it becomes unsustainable and will set in motion a process to reduce that inequality, according to the model, even at the risk of destroying wealth. Um, And then there's this one other um, professor, it's not a quote here, but he wrote a book called The Great Leveler, and he looked at the last 5,000 years, whenever inequality has reached 
levels that we have today. And he says they've uh, almost always resulted in a, a police state, a social uprising, or both. Um, and so that's just one of the aspects we're looking at our project. The others are uh, quite technical and economic in nature and all that stuff. And so I don't even want to get into that at all. But but this one is is relevant to all of us. And, and we see the trajectory we're on. And then you, it's not hard to go on the internet and search like, extreme inequality what happens you know and you find it's not good it it's um it's not a good force for societies for if they're communists if they're socialists if they're democratic it capitalist it doesn't matter um and so i'm not saying the the sky's falling i don't think that's what they're saying either but I think they're asking us to take this seriously, that there is a potential disaster in our future and we need to seriously look at what are we doing now and how, how would you personally prepare for that? That's our own individual question, but what are we doing as a, as a society to really even just talk about this? No one's even really talking about it. And so <clears throat> I guess I bring that to you in... Do you see this tension? Do you see people wondering about this? And, and if, if you don't, or if you do, why, why do you think we might be avoiding discussing a scenario such as, as this? Okay, can you clarify when you say at the scenario as this, clarify a little bit more direct as to what that scenario looks like? Um, so I'll kind of put it into their words. When inequality gets as bad as it is, they say, get ready, change is coming. And so what they mean is the inequality is going to try and set about a reversal effect to reverse the inequality. So it's going to destroy the wealth of everyone. It's, it's like a economic reset. The entire um, paradigm of how our economy has worked is going to suffer fundamental issues. So it, it's essentially like a social uprising or the government comes out and clamps down because of the anger and frustration in the streets. People just saying enough is enough. I'm tired of working three jobs and I can't pay rent in practical matters. So like financial inequality is what we're talking yeah, about. I'm sorry. Yeah. Financial inequality where the 0.1% have the majority of the wealth and the 99.9% don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that when it comes to, so this too, as this too, um, this idea of what you're calling inequality, um, it, it goes back to prehistoric times when it went or in, and beyond that or before, or after that, where it went to this kind of concept of just a need for resources, right? Um, so one of the main reasons tribes would fight back in the day is because there's not enough resources for everybody in this area. And if you get most of the resources, then that means that I have to up and move to look for more resources or I have to defeat you um, to, in order to destroy you using up the resources. Right. So we have to kind of fight and, um, and we have to go to battle. Me as a martial artist, I understand that tribe idea well because, you know, I've done a lot of different martial arts. Um, and so this kind of idea of at some point, especially now, where you have 
people who are unemployed and can't get unemployment. Um, people who are really hard workers who are doing what they were supposed to do or being a, you know, what we call what we would call an upstanding member of society. They got a job. They're working their hours. They're putting food on the table. They're paying their mortgages on time. And then, bam, they just don't have a job anymore. They didn't do anything to get fired. They didn't do anything. Nope, just this pandemic came through and now we can't go to work. Right. In my particular position, you know, I own a business and all of a sudden I was just told that I can't have my business open anymore. Um, and even when that when we are told that businesses can open again, there's going to be a huge portion of the population that's going to be still a little nervous. So they're going to be like very wary about coming back and, you know, patronizing uh, my business. And so you have to worry about that. And so. When one thing that I've seen in my military time and things of that nature is that when people feel um, like there's nowhere to go and there's no way to provide the resources for themselves, they will find people with those resources and things happen, you know. (laughs) So, um, like I said, the tribe looks over there across the water and sees another tribe thriving and then. Um, and that creates this, well, we don't have it here, so maybe we need to go over there and ask, can we share? And if we can't share, then um, what happens then, you know? Um, and this is one of the things that I talk about with survival in general. If you look at a scenario, let's say a hurricane comes through, right? And now people are trapped and it leaves floods everywhere and people can't leave their home and they can't go to the supermarket. Supermarket's destroyed. You know, things of that nature. So now I'm at home. I'm a pretty upstanding guy. Got a family. Everything's great. Um, And and we have a week worth of food in the cupboard. And then all of a sudden uh, we can't get food and we can't get water. And I go around to my neighbors and I ask them and they're not sharing because they're in the same predicament. They didn't prepare. So eventually what happens is... I start looking at my family suffering and I'm a good person, but now I have a choice at a certain point, four weeks down the line, I'm looking at my child starving to death or dehydrating. And I say to myself, well, we either just stay here and that continues to happen, or I have to go out there and ask more people. But if people say no, then I have to change i have to find that i have to make that happen somehow and it's very few people who say oh well i'll just go back home and we'll just all die or hopefully you know hopefully the supermarkets open back up or somebody comes and gives us water no a good portion of good people will take matters in their own hand and do stuff um they will try to get the food and the water any way they know how and that's going to be probably by going house to house and demanding it or you know, looting or something of that nature. So going back to your question, when things get too unequal, when you have people making money at the top or things happening at the top, which has, I looked in the paper recently, or I was reading an article recently where a bank was getting sued because they were supposed to be giving out these loans, these economic disaster loans, where it was supposed to be like, we're 
first come first serve well all of a sudden people started recognizing the people the small business people who were there at the door the first hour that they opened knocking and filling out paperwork weren't getting money uh-huh. but the people who were getting money or the groups that were getting money were these bigger groups you know and uh that was totally against what was being put out that was supposed to be happening. It was supposed to be a first come first serve basis. Um, and so now that bank is being sued. Um, but what happens if that lawsuit doesn't go anywhere or, you know, <laughs> or something of that nature? Um, it could, and those people still aren't able to get money. Um, you know, what happens then? And there's a duplistic aspect to that, too, because the flip side of that could be, well, this big company has like 300 people working. If we don't give them money, then what happens to those 300 people? You know, now they don't have a job. And now we've added to the amount of people that don't have a job. Um, And then the flip side of that is, well, there's a rule. And the rule says I got here first. I applied first. Doesn't matter if you got 300 people and I only got two that work for me. I'm here at the door knocking. I filled out the paperwork first. I should get it. So there's this balance. But overall, um, when you get enough of those smaller people who don't have, who have twos and three employees and they're not able to feed themselves, um, then there will be a disconnect. There will be a divide and that divide leads to strife and that strife leads to anger and and chaos and and conflict. I think it's fascinating fascinating how you brought it there with the tribes and it's like populism is kind of what you're describing is we have this one tribe that doesn't have the resources and this other tribe that has the resources and like you say you first go over there you just ask like hey can we share well that's doesn't seem to be happening based on these ppp and these eidl loans sharing's not happening <laughs> and 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 you saw some of this with occupy wall street where it it's it's one tribe saying hey we're not happy we don't have enough resources you're hogging them all but it kind of fizzled out and so i wonder i mean i would assume we're going to see more of that i don't know um but i, I thought that was very fascinating how you simplified it into this tribal mentality and it's just like hey i want to eat I want basic resources. I don't, I'm looking around myself and I don't, I don't seem to have the basic resources that I was somewhat promised by the system or, or whatnot. Love just, I'm going to work hard and I should be compensated. <clears throat> um, do you, do you see this worsening, staying the same, getting better? I don't, you know, I, I can't really tell you. I can tell you um, that. If it doesn't get better, you know, it's, I mean, that history has already been there, like we said, with these tribe scenarios. And and don't get me wrong, this is not like a a handout sort of thing. It is, um, sometimes you get a person who is doing, like, I'm plowing my fields, I'm doing what I need to do. Um, But it's just not, you know, it's just not taking, it's no, just no plants growing, there's no uh, vegetation happening. So it's not looking good for me. So I, I will, there is a series of tribes in the back of the day who just wanted resources. They didn't care. They already had enough, but they were like, we want more. <laughs> you know. So there's that 
that tribe too, you know? Um, and then there's another tribe who's like, no, let's share and let's work together. Um, and sometimes we've seen in history that that doesn't always work out. You know, people come ashore and they, and then the tribe comes to the shore and says, hey, we welcome you. Come on and share with us. And, and uh, that those people who came ashore was like, ah, you know, we'd rather just have everything, you know. <laughs> so that didn't go, that didn't turn out well neither. So, I mean, there's all these different uh, aspects to this, how these things play out. Um, and, and it really depends on what the deeper uh, concept behind, you know, the, the different people in power, the different uh, strategies and ideas that they want to see kind of come about. Um, but what I can say is that if you get people without enough, you get people who don't have enough resources to provide for themselves, who have done, who, who've, who's, who've done what they needed to do and they're still not getting them, that will create a divide and that will create a bigger issue. Um, and here's the key. If we let's just take this in the like high, high, middle, low. Right. So we we know we do. You have people who say upper class, a middle class, a lower class. Um, I don't necessarily uh, like the idea that that that's that the, that is the way as a way of giving a person an excuse to be where they are. Um, but there, there are people who don't make a lot of money. There are people who make kind of mid, midway money and can do things. And then there are people who make a lot of money, you know, so there, there is that, that scale. Um, when you have someone who's very, very on the lower end of the scale, it's hard for them to have the connections or the opportunity or the power to make the difference. Um, because they're just trying to provide basic needs, right? So we learned that from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If I'm just trying to put water in my, my system, there's not much else I'm going to be thinking about as far as fighting the bigger picture. Then there, so it's hard for that group to normally make a lot of change, right? But when you get the middle group who they're kind of in between both realms, and you get enough of them, they have connections with the higher class and they have connection with the lower level. And, you know, they kind of you get enough of those guys starting to, you know, not be able to meet those needs. And because they've seen that change is possible, they they react towards change and they tend to, you know, they tend to do very, can do very well as far as historically they can make some really big waves. And so that, that is, is, uh, that's, you know, that may be a, a scenario that could play out in the late future if these, you know, if things don't, you know, mellow themselves out. And I see that there probably is people out there who, people at the top, in the government who really recognize that. And that's why you have these loan programs being created. And, you know, we, we got to get money in people's pocket and we got, you know, they, to create a, a sense of, Oh, okay. There, somebody's out there looking out, trying to look out for me because the minute that minute you have the middle and the lower class say, no one's looking out for me. I have to look out for myself. Total chaos will break out. You know, that's when things start getting really bad. Um, you know, so 
I don't know. I just see that if these, if, if things don't change, it could be potentially difficult, you know, very, way more difficult than it is now. Way more difficult, not just because of the pandemic itself, but because of the environment it creates, you know, based on how we're trying to deal with, with it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's something we really have to talk about and face. We'll see if we're up to the task. <laughs> um, I don't want to go here if, if you're not interested, but you're, you, you mentioned you had just lost family members and yet you're also a business owner. And that puts you in an extremely, unfortunately, a unique position where I'm, I'm asking, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm asking, you, you probably want the economy opened up in one sense, but you're also, you, pro- you probably very much understand the dangers of that, whereas some people don't. Some people are just in one camp or the other. If, if you're comfortable, are you willing to talk about that, that tension there and just how you're thinking and going about that? Yeah, so um, there is a definite um, tension in my view of things, only that was created just because of my circumstances in the sense that I am a small business owner with, you know, a handful of employees. And but then I also have three family members who have passed because of the coronavirus. Um, And now, granted, those family members were older and they had, you know, again, predetermined or preconditions. Um, And these, you know, so they weren't young, you know, they weren't like 30 or 40 with no, uh, you know, conditions. Um, So this so there is that. But looking at it from both perspectives, a part of me says, yes, we need to open. And that's because I'm an entrepreneur and I have business to run. And it has been, you know, very uh, painful for my business with us being shut down and us not being able to do uh, our normal operations. Um, But at the same token, I definitely want people to be safe. I'm a survival instructor. I teach people how to survive. So I want I want people to be safe and I want them to be okay. But at the same token, um, you know, how how much I'm also thinking, well, how much longer can the business can my business support itself and continue to, to move forward if we don't have our doors open? You know, and again, you know, any the systems that we have in place to help the businesses through, they're either taking way too long. They're not actually happening the way we the way they were supposed to. Um, and that's creating a lot of challenge too. That's making it harder for small businesses to really support the idea of not being open um, because of those different aspects. So I do, I, I do have that pull, you know, uh, between the two, um, it, it, actually between the three, between being a survival instructor, a person who lost family, and because there's, because for me, there's different levels of survival. You know, there's diff- these different aspects of survival. There's the survival of my business. There's the survival of, you know, the people I love and the family unit. And then there's the survival of the community and, and you know, our society, you know. And so um, what how, how do we maintain that balance, that flow to keep everybody uh, surviving? You know, that's that's the hard part. Where are you hoping things go in the next from 
let's say the virus just stays kind of as it is, because we, we can't know if it's going to get worse or better in the next month or two based on our actions. But what are you hoping from an economic perspective? Um, like kind of a soft opening, a just lights and glory grand opening or just keep it closed? Or what are, what are you thinking and feeling? Um, well, I think that a if, if the goal is to see how things transpire, right? Um, I think a, a smoother, what we're doing, a smoother transition of slowly opening um, allows us to kind of track what's happening. Um, you know, so for instance, let's, let's, take a, let's take it from a survival perspective. So when you're thinking about edible plants, right? So I'm lost in the wilderness and I see a plant, right? And I'm like, that looks like I can eat it and I'm starving to death, right? <laughs> so if I just grab the plant and I eat it, then I might die, you know, like immediately. So one of the ways that you're supposed to do that is you take it and you rub it on your skin first and you wait a little while and then you might put it on your lip a little bit and you wait a little while and then you might put a little teeny piece of it in your mouth and hold it there and wait a little while and then you chew it. So you take it in steps um, to kind of see what the results are before you eat it all away. Now, you know, there's a lot of different things involved in this. And again, I'm inclined as a business owner looking at the books to say, oh, hell no, open it right now. <laughs> you know, because I can't, I don't know if I can afford to wait until you decide to chew this thing and swallow it, you know. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But the flip side of that is, again, um, you know, I only have one life. Uh, so... Uh, I rather take things a little slower and see. So because if it if it does, if I opened it right up and things went bad, or if I swallowed that right away and things went bad, then there's no coming back from that. But if I swallowed it a little bit and I got sick and I had to use the bathroom for a day or two, you know, um, I still have more time to readjust and make another movement. So I I, I would say that you know, taking it slower might be a better strategy just by what I know about survival and nature. Um, you know, but on the flip side, there is a reason why you may not do that. And here's, here's that reason. Um, so in survival, there's also, if you are dehydrated and you have been without water for three days, right? You got a massive headache, lips are dry, you're weak, you're fatigued, and you come up on some water, right? So logically, I'm supposed to test the water, uh, filter the water, boil the water. There's a process to go through to make sure that the water's clean but, so that I don't get sick, right? But if I do that process, I might not last to the end of the process to do that. So there's another school that says, do the best you can, drink the water, and then deal with the consequences, you know, of uh, getting sick or whatever. But at least you're sick and alive and not sick and dead. And that might buy you some time for somebody to find you or to save you or rescue you. So there, there is that, too. It's like um, there's a lot of people out there that I know that don't have un that, that aren't able to get unemployment. They've been you know, they've applied, they're waiting, they're calling, they're wait, they're online, they're, nothing's happening. And they may not have three, four weeks to wait, you know. Um, and 
so there's that too. There's that, well, I, there might be that person that needs to just jump in. Um, and then there's this other person that, I mean, there's this other side of it where, well, the safer way is for us to do it slowly. But then there's a person who may not be able to wait for it to, to be done slowly because they're hurting right now. I mean, they're at the end of their rope right now. Uh-huh. Um, there, the, I've heard there are things that governments, portions of the government are doing. I think in New York, I, I read something recently. I haven't been able to research it, but um, like the governor had said, had waived all mortgages or something like that and student payments or, um, again, I haven't done the research to know if that's true, but I heard that that's, I mean, things like that make it easier for us to wait longer. Mm-hmm. But if I have to, if I got some, a collector calling me right now, like, dude, you're behind and, you know, then I, I have to do it now. I have to open, you got people, a lady got arrested recently because she opened her salon or something of that nature early. And so she got in trouble um, and she got arrested. I'm not sure what state it was in, but basically she was made an example of because she broke the rules. She broke the law um, that was instilled to say, hey, you guys stay at home and you can't work and you can't open. But if she was like, look, I get it, but nobody's helping. I got a forbearance on my mortgage. (laughs) So that means at the end of the month, I'm going to owe two payments instead of one payment, you know? And yeah, they're saying they're going to work with me, but who knows how that's going to work out. I need to get, and then also I need to buy my groceries right now, you know? Um, So what's happening with that, you know? Uh, So, so yeah, she may have had to like drink the water right now and just deal with the consequences versus, or eat the eat the plant and deal with the consequences versus waiting those steps to get to the to the final point. So you know you gotta mm-hmm. there has to be this balance that we're that we're really um, paying attention to and we're really taking the time to do this right. But whoever's making the decisions at the top have to make sure that the things put in place operate efficiently as efficiently as they can um, in order to make give people the confidence that they're taken care of so that they can wait the proper amount of time. You know, if I looked at you and I said, hey, this plant might kill you, we're not sure, but let's wait. You know, I can tell you that your, your, your body can go three or more weeks without food. We've only been without food for two weeks. If we are successful with testing this plant, you know, in the next two days, if you can wait two days, I guarantee you we're gonna have this whole thing, but this process is going to work. It's going to tell us whether or not we can eat this plant, you know? Then you're more inclined to say, okay, I'll wait two days. But if I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure, or maybe if we wait two days, it might work, but it might not work, and da, 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 then you're going to be like, dude, just give me the plan. I'm going to eat it, you know, because you're not going to trust whether or not uh, my guidelines or my guidance is, is true or not, because I'm not really presenting it and showing that it is. I'm not proving that it is. So when we put things out there, they have to be sound and effective. If not, we could find ourselves in, tr- in trouble. I, I really appreciate that thought of 
listen, we can hold out a little longer. We just need rock solid trust in our leaders. And I think some of us have that and some of us don't. Um, I mean, it's a massive country. There's going to be a large spectrum of trust and leadership. But um, I saw a stat recently where different um, different oh, oh what, how was it classified? It was like um, the Fed, the federal government, state government, and then health officials. And health officials, their uh, levels of confidence have risen above everyone else's. So at least there's someone that people are looking for for information, I think, is a silver lining to that. Um, but so going off what, what you said, um, so looking at your past experience as uh, psychological operations with the Army, and then now as um, a business owner, and then being involved in different communities of um, business owners and, and just your community there in, in Fayetteville, how do you think this is going to affect us psychologically as business owners and as, as a nation? Let's say this is all done in a year. It's, it's been painful. It's probably going to become more painful for some. Um, there's a large spectrum like we've touched on already. How do you think this affects us going forward? So you asked from a psychological operations perspective. This question is super loaded. Um, because what I've been seeing recently, recently, like in the last few years, is that we go through these, like me as a survival instructor, I have the hardest time getting people to recognize the idea of preparedness. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, go out. I do have 60 acres of land, but um, I'm going to say it anyway, go out, buy 60 acres of land and then uh, dig a hole and put like a bazillion years worth of food in that hole for you and every generation to come. You know, I'm not saying that level of preparedness, but what I am saying is this idea of just making sure that I'm disaster ready. I have enough to be able or enough knowledge or enough resources um, to be able to provide for myself should things not operate optimally, right? Um, we do that with insurance. We pay for it all the time. Hey, when things go bad, I, I, you know, I, I need something there to make sure that it helps me through that. Uh, but we don't really necessarily think about that when it comes to this preparedness aspect. Our ancestors did, right? Because there was nobody to provide that. Either you woke up and you provided food and food stores for yourself and your community or, you know, everybody died. That was it. You know, that was the ultimate consequence. Nobody was going to step in and give you anything or help you out. You just, that was it. So from a psychological operations perspective or a psychological, um, you know, concept, I think that when we go through this, there's two ways people can really look at this. And this is the same thing with every disaster that has happened in the last 10 years. I mean, we've had hurricanes back to back. We've had, you know, the financial crisis in 2008. I mean, it was all types of stuff that showed people, hey, taking preparation seriously is a big deal. But then also Facebook came about and like, you know, all these other cool things for us to like get distracted with and like, oh, let's do this and let's get a part of this and let's uh, talk to our friends on Facebook. And um, 
and people are very distracted now. So um, I hope that there are people who recognize what's happening and come out this. I'm, I'm one, too, as a small business owner. Um, I, I'm very into this kind of financial concept of paying off all debt and really like, you know, having cash around and, you know, things of that nature and having the food and the resources I need to kind of provide um, if I need to. So I'm in that mindset. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people are in that mindset. A lot of people are in the mindset that the grocery stores are always going to be there. That And when we go through crisis like this, it's a good opportunity for us to be reminded that, no, the system is not foolproof. It, things can go wrong and you should be ready. And so people can come out the other side of this and be stronger because we have been reawakened to the idea that real bad stuff can happen. Like a pandemic, we've been ha how many movies are there out there about pandemics, right? <laughs> Outbreak, pandemic this, end of the world that, virus here, virus there. And everybody's like, man, that was a great movie. It'll never happen to us, but that was great. You know, and now here we are and everybody's like, whoa, this will never happen to us. And I guarantee there's going to be a group of people when this is over who say, whew, won't have to deal with that for another five generations. You know, we're good. I can go into crazy, massive amounts of debt and do everything that I was doing versus thinking about it the other way and saying, well, we just don't know. We've had hurricanes back to back, wildfires in California that's burning up everything. We got earthquakes that are coming off the scales. We got financial, you know, uh, situations happening. We got pandemics happening. Like maybe we need to not be end of the world enthusiasts, but say, let's just be prepared a little bit. You know, Let, what does that look like for me? For me to prepare for my family, me to make sure my society, my community is okay. And then there's another aspect where we can get so wrapped up back into our lives um, that we forget about all of that. It is, and what really determines that are these upper, the people who control that media. You know, not the media, just that whatever media is you're the one that you are involved in. There are people who don't have Facebook, so they might get theirs from a newspaper. There are people who don't like newspapers. They might get their media from a friend, you know. So media has all these different shapes. So I'm not saying the media like is this big bad person. I'm just saying like wherever you get your information from and how you go about your daily activity and still be able to be connected to the world, there's going to have to be something that really highlights this idea of self-reliance as an individual, as a family, as a community, then, and then moving up that scale like it was back in the ancient times to make sure that we all have a strong foundation. If not, then we have these big disconnects and that puts us in a very dangerous scenario like we were talking about at the beginning of this discussion. If, if that middle class group uh, starts being heavily affected, recognizing that they can definitely make change um, because they've seen things happen, they've risen from nothing, or they've built a multi-million multi dollar business from scratch, 
you know, that type of individual, even though, because I think the small business, uh, the small business number is still pretty high. Like you can still be considered a small business if you make like a million dollars or something like that, you know, which, um, which is, it, it, that's, that's a pretty big business in my opinion, but you know, I get it. So, uh, you know, that person who comes from zero to making a million dollars, they recognize that there's a level of power that you have and opportunity that, and things you can do if you just put your mind to it. So you get enough of those folks without and it'll start to create a very uh, interesting scenario for us all. As you were um, speaking, I was almost wondering, so going forward, those who might be affected by this, do you think there might be a dividing line between the ones who perhaps made ill choices like not being prepared for something that was bound to happen at some point? Like you mentioned all the movies and everything. It's it's not like it wasn't state of mind. It just we just didn't do it. We didn't prepare. So there are those ones that made ill choices, but the government just bail, you know, supports them and they get the loans and they're fine. And then those <clears throat> who made the ill choices and have to actually deal with their consequences. Do you think there might be a, a kind of a hard line between those two groups and the one group is just like, well, what ends, you know, ends well. I, I, next time I'll just be saved again. The other one's like lost all faith. Am I dramatizing it too much or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely think there will be a divide. I think there's a divide now. I think, um, I think if you, if you talk to someone who is getting unemployment, right. And you talk to somebody who's not, who's trying to get unemployment, it's two different conversations, Right. The person who's getting unemployment is like, man, I'm glad this unemployment came through. I didn't have a problem. I walked in there, I filled out the paperwork or I filled it out online. It took me a, a, a week extra, but I got it, you know. Um, and now I'm actually making $50 more than what I was making when I was working. You know? So, so yeah, I'm good to go, you know, um, at least, in, you know, until my job opens back up. That person has a definite, definite different story than the person who's like, I went in the same time as that guy, filled out all the information, and I haven't heard or seen a dime, and I don't know how I'm going to feed my family tomorrow. And if you have, if those two people have a conversation, there is, there is, there might be two different Hopefully you have some grace in there where the person who did get the money says, I'm so sorry, I understand, because if I didn't get it, I would be feeling this way. But if that person's like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe you did something wrong, then man, that's going to create, you know, that's going to create craziness, chaos, um, you know, because emotion is going to be involved. Um, and that's that's going to be very scary. Now you deal, you take it with this small company, big company thing. I know people who have not gotten their PPP loans, um, you know, and then you got these bigger companies who did. And um, that's just creating more of this. Oh, there is an elite. And then there's me, you know, um, and the more people who say, oh, when people start recognizing there is an elite and then there's me and then they stop saying, well, there's me and there's John and there's Jane and there's Judy. So there's we, right? 
And so there's the elite and then there's we. That's when things get, we go back to the tribe again. It's like, oh, well, there's enough of us to make a wave now. You know, um, if you get that happening, that's going to create even more of a, a rift. And so I think that the government, um, in some ways, they, 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 somebody saw that. And that's where you get like these $1,200 payments um, that are going out where it wasn't like, we're just going to give this group $3,000 and this group $1,200 because that would have been like, who chooses that group? That would have created. So it was like, well, let's just do the same amount pretty much to everybody with the exception of if you make past this amount of money, um, you know, and that kind of made people feel better and kind of, you know, look past that because it was like, well, most of the people who are making the $1,200 are kind of looking at each other like we're all in the same boat, you know, um, and the people who are making, you know, who are making less than that $1,200 are like, oh, okay, well, we're all in the same boat too because we all make this amount of money, you know. Okay. Um, so they use that, but if they used any other measure, it could have been really crazy to see how that created a divide. But now this other aspect is happening in the same way. So this, this people who are getting the loans and not getting the loans based on the fact that they are bigger companies, that's having that same effect, you know, in, in essence, it's had, well, the negative effect, the thing they didn't want to happen, which is now you know, people are looking at it like, okay, these elite companies with all these people and all this money, they're already getting it. And we saw this back in 2008 with the banks, the bailouts. I think it was 2008. Yeah, the bailout where the banks were getting bailed out. And it was like, well, what about me who got all this money from the bank, got promised, you know, this, this, this house, I got more house than I could pay for, but the bank said it was okay. They get bailed out, but I don't. You know, and it was very clever because even though people were pissed off, somehow it got it dissipated. Right. It just vanished. Right. So that kind yeah. of, that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about, where like we could come out the other end of this and people say, oh, man, I saw a definite need. Like, I need to make sure that this doesn't happen. We need to make sure as a community that this doesn't happen again, that we have better things in place here. And then there could be that we get so wrapped up in being through with it and and being past it that we're just like, we wash our hands of it and say, oh, I'm so glad that's over. Let's move forward now. Let's not think back to the past. Let's think to the future, you know, forgetting to learn the lessons from the past and bring them forward into the future as a means to keep us stronger. So could you know there there could be that as well so yeah i I, that's what i was so fascinated about with the last crisis is it seemed to kind of just resolve itself without resolution and and i i wonder if the same will happen now or i mean it's only gotten there's only more anger and frustration bubbling below the surface so at some point the lid's got to come off this pressure cooker i just don't know how or when I hope someone loosens the valve a little bit and it's just like gentle, but I don't, I don't know. Um, oh, um, I didn't know if you're going to say something. So I, I ran, I ran over time a little bit here. Um, I don't want to take up your whole day. I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us. Last question. 
based on everything you've told me so far, I'm guessing you didn't run out of toilet paper. <laughs> Did I run out of toilet paper? No, I didn't run out of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that because, um, because, because I'm a survival instructor, you know, I, uh, I had all these like baby wipes and stuff from when we go out into the field, but I also have spent quite a bit of time in third world countries. So I know like, you know, instead of using my hand, I could always use a, a wet rag, right? And go <laughs> or jump in the shower. <laughs> so, so uh, I don't know what the whole toilet paper thing was. Uh, me, me neither. But, but it's clever. You know, it, it's, it, it is when people, it, it is from a psychological uh, operations perspective, it's clever at how, uh, what people latch on to, Right. Um, because they don't know. So then they hear something. And so anytime you see people grabbing milk and bread, right, when a hurricane is on the way or toilet paper, it kind of, it kind of highlights the idea that, um, information is getting out there and people are looking for something to latch on to, um, even though it doesn't make any sense. Because as many people on my Facebook feed that was saying that didn't make sense, the fact of the matter is, is that the shelves are still empty, you know? So who's buying up all the toilet paper, <laughs> right? So, so if everybody says it doesn't make sense, who the hell's buying up all the toilet paper, right? Somebody's gotta be doing it, it's not the same person. It's not just one person, because everybody else thinks this doesn't make sense. <laughs> Um, you know, so what's happening there? Um, and how does that make sense for the overall picture? So that kind of tells you something's broke, right? Something in the thinking and the concepts about what we need to survive and what really needs to be focused on, uh, doesn't make sense. Now, whether or not that was a plant or if that was just really just something that was odd that had gotten out there and people just ran with it, who knows? Uh, maybe it was a distraction. Who knows? You know, um, it, it, it did distract people though. Um, <laughs> so from, it did. you know, it got people like totally distracted from the reality of like what was happening, um, and not paying attention to the things that they really needed to be paying attention to. Um, so, but I don't know how it's going to play out as far as when we come back. Ten, when we go 10 years and we look back at where we are now and will anybody be asking the question, why did people buy so much toilet paper back then <laughs> or fight each other at the grocery store over toilet paper, you know, which is another. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. I, I love this conversation. You know, maybe in six months, if we're still in a crazy situation here, I, I could reach out again. And it, it, if, if you had time to check in with how your business is doing or, or your your pulse on the um, on the different communities, and if and if not, then I I sure hope we're on the other side and where you know the economy is chugging along. And um, but but I really I really appreciate you taking the time uh, today. It's it's been really fascinating to speak with you. No problem, brother. I appreciate you uh, looking at me for it, and um, I hope that it gives you what you need. And you know, and you know, it turns out to be something that really empowers and uplifts people. Thank you so much for enjoying our content. We really appreciate that you're here. 
If you want to see more, make sure to like, subscribe, tag the notification bell, rate and review if you're on podcast, and definitely leave a comment below of who you'd like us to interview next. We read all of them. We love hearing your feedback. And so we look forward to seeing you next week.